President Biden rebuked Russia and Vladimir Putin in notable remarks at the United Nations General Assembly this week, all while investigations around former President Donald Trump picked up steam. To help us break down all this news and more, we turn to the analysis of Brooks and Tumulty. That's New York Times columnist David Brooks and Karen Tumulty, columnist for The Washington Post. Jonathan Capehart is away. Hello to both of you. Welcome to Karen and to David. Um, so I want to start with Ukraine. Uh, what we've seen this week, major setbacks on the battlefield for Russia. Uh, Vladimir Putin, David, is responding by calling up hundreds of thousands of uh, young and, and not so young uh, reservists. Uh, he is orchestrating this sham election so that they can annex parts of Ukraine right now in the east. Uh, he is not backing down. He's doubling down. In fact, is there more? What more can the can the West, can the United States do at this point? Yeah, well, you know, he is suffering all these setbacks on the ground uh, and even a little at home. And what he's done, he's like a wounded tiger who's reacted by saying time is running out, time to attack. And so he's escalating. And so what the U.S. government is trying to do is to try to help the Ukrainians push them out of Ukraine, but slowly so you're going to trigger a nuclear war. And that's just a very fine line to walk through. And I think the government, the U.S. government is doing what it has been doing and has plans to do a little more, which is to supply uh, the Ukrainians with the weapons they need to win the war in Ukraine, not supply the weapons they might use to attack Moscow, uh, but to keep do, giving them what they're doing, which is they've given them awesome amounts of intelligence so the Ukrainians really see the battlefield better. Uh, and they have the anti-aircraft material, they have uh, anti-tank material, they have missile material. And so they're better trained, more morale, uh, and they're just going to keep on plodding along. But it's that pacing that's so key is to not get Putin where he feels like he's totally in a panic and he escalates in a way that could involve attacking a another country, attacking a NATO country, and a whole variety of ways he could escalate. So much, Karen, of what you read is that it all depends on Vladimir Putin and what he decides and whether he wants to end this. I mean, is that how is that how we should see it? I, I think so. And we also should look beyond that because it's important to remember China is watching here as well. And so they will be looking at Western resolve in the face of a nuclear threat and as they try and decide what they're doing with Taiwan. But I do think the main thing the West has to do is stand firm, continue supplying aid. Uh, Europe, it's incumbent on Europe to come up with alternative supplies of fuel to get them through the winter as Russia, as Russia cuts back because that is where Vladimir Putin also has leverage. He has economic leverage. And yeah, and I think the Europeans, A, he's, they've done a pretty good job of stockpile, building up their stockpiles. They've done a pretty good job of passing serious measures so it won't hit people as hard as it might otherwise. And I think Putin has done everything possible to make it easier for NATO to stay together. And so even the speech this week, the mass graves, uh, giving the U Europeans months warning that he was going to cut off fuel before winter set in, uh, he's hardened resolve around the world. and kept what was going to be a tricky job of keeping the allies together, he's made it a little easier. And it also is looking like his biggest problem may be domestically, as mm -hmm. thousands of people are going to the street and protest, risking arrest. In fact, 1,300 have been arrested. People are fleeing for the border. 
to uh, you know men who are in threat, the 300,000 being drafted. Um, he's he's got some big problems at home too. But you do you do get the sense. I mean, we mentioned President Biden's speech at the UN General Assembly. Um, you have other countries that are that are contributing to the to the war effort in Ukraine. But you also get the effort that there's just a limit to how much uh, push this can, how much difference all this yeah, can make. Yeah, the hope is that at some point. You know, the the weather in Ukraine makes it harder to do mass offensive the later you get into the fall because it gets muddy. And so there's going to be some time here. And so the hope is that at some point Putin says, hey, let's do a cost-benefit analysis. I need to do some negotiation. Uh, and then the hope is that the Ukrainians say, you know, we're, we've, we've done fantastic, but actually pushing Russian troops out of the Donbass and the eastern regions is actually kind of hard. And maybe we should go to the negotiating table. And so that would be one out where they would just negotiate a solution. Uh, I think, and I don't blame the Ukrainians, they're the heroes here, but their passions are high. They're filled with indignation. They're at least talking in a very maximalist way. We want Crimea back. We want reparations. And so maybe the Ukrainians will just, you know, it's their war. <laughs> uh, and maybe they'll just keep pushing, pushing maybe a little faster than some of the allies would like or supporters would like. So let's turn uh, to uh, politics in this country. As we saw in the, the report before this, Karen, midterms are getting closer. Um, and today, the Republican, the House Republicans and the, the minority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, made a speech, uh, went out of his way to sort of outline what he sees as the Republic, what the Republican agenda would be if they take uh, the majority in, uh, in the fall. But let, we want to show just a quick clip of some of what he said and some of how President Biden responded. Here it is. We want an economy that is strong. That means you can fill up your tank. You can buy the groceries. You have enough money left over to go to Disneyland and save for a future. That the paychecks grow, they no longer shrink. We have a plan for a nation that's safe. That means your community will be protected. Your law enforcement will be respected. Your criminals will be prosecuted. The House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, went to Pennsylvania and unveiled on what he calls a commitment to America. That's, a, that's a, a thin series of policy goals with little or no detail. Here's a few of the things we didn't hear. We didn't hear him mention the right to choose. We didn't hear him mention Medicare. We didn't hear him mention Social Security. So, Karen, what's going on here? <laughs> well, normally a midterm election is a referendum on the president. But this one's different because people are looking at what the Republican agenda itself could be, in part because of the abortion decision, in part because Donald Trump is in the news constantly. And so, yes, the House Republicans are looking for something to talk about that are not those two things. But this package that was unveiled today and, and was meant to be sort of an echo of the 1994 contract with America was not specific at all. It was basically a bunch of talking points. And I think that, among other things, reflects how fractured the Republicans in the House are. I mean, getting a majority of them to agree on anything is not only difficult in the campaign, but it is going to be difficult 
for Kevin McCarthy or whoever the speaker is if, in fact, the Republicans get power, get the majority again in this midterm election. How fractured are they and, and how detailed do they have to Well, get? in 2020, they had no platform at all, so I take this as a step forward. They did. Their platform was anything <laughs> Donald Trump wants. Yeah, so, you know, the, the party's in this interesting transition from being it used to be sort of a business party and it's becoming a working class party. And so it's becoming a party that's much more hostile to corporations, uh, much more welcoming of the, of the in, entitlement state, the welfare state, Social Security, Medicare, and all that sort of thing. Much more willing to use government to help working class folks. But it takes a while for a party to migrate. I think they are migrating. But a lot of people like Kevin McCarthy are part of the old party. And there are some very fine people, Paul Ryan, the former speaker, he was part of the old party. And so within the House, you've got people part of that business party, and then you've got the working class party. And they, they don't see eye to eye a lot, because this is a party really changing its colors in, in rapid form. And, and Karen, I mean, you, you look at this and you think, is this is what we're going to watch for the next seven or eight weeks until the election. I, I think this is what we're going to watch. But again, uh, the, one of the problems for the Republicans is, again, Donald Trump keeps yeah. creeping back into the news. And speaking of Donald Trump, this was, uh, David, a tough week for him. Uh, there was not only a, a court ruling against uh, his side and the, uh, the, whether, what to do with those papers that the FBI seized at his Mar-a-Lago estate. There's also this New York State Attorney General who is coming down with a, uh, accusing him and his family and his business of fraud. Um, and yet, as we just watched in Lisa, Lisa Desjardins at that rally, he's drawing big crowds. Yeah, the civil suit uh, in New York amused me. I learned from Eugene Robinson, your colleague, uh, that he uh, claimed that his apartment in New York was 30,000 square feet when it's only 11,000 square feet. So th that's like classic Donald Trump. I, it's not the most politically important of the, of the investigations because it'll take years to run through the courts. And even if he lost everything, then had to pay $250 million, his organization could afford it. The Georgia case is more serious and then the Mar-a-Lago case are more serious. And the judicial decision in the Mar-a-Lago case case uh, seems plain common sense and it was two out of the three judges who made it were Trump appointees which says if we're going to investigate the documents then the investigators have to see the documents that doesn't seem like a very complicated legal thing and so it's it means the investigation of those documents will speed up so how Karen how how does this bad news affect Donald Trump's prospects and his ability to sway the results. Well, know we know what the play, well, we know what the playbook is because we've seen Donald Trump in legal trouble so many other so many times. It's delay, deflect, uh, bluster, uh, play the victim and counterattack. But what's different, what does feel different now is this accumulation of legal problems, not only uh, being accused of a quarter billion dollars worth of fraud in New York and having the Fulton County, Georgia DA trying to figure out what kind of pressure he was putting on local officials to swing the election, but you've got the January 7th committee, you've got the Justice Department looking into Trump's actions before that, and you know, the fact that he had classified documents in his personal possession um, at Mar-a-Lago. It's just so many things going on at once. All at once, David, and yet he's drawing big crowds, I'm, to repeat yeah. myself. I mean, yeah. his believers 
still believe, and, and according to Lisa's reporting, everyone she talked to said they still think that election was stolen. Yeah, and they uh, think these investigations are politically motivated, which is not 100% wrong, by the way. Um, but, you know, there might be some, and not people who would show up at a Trump rally. But I'm, I ran into a guy, conversation last week or so, a big Trump supporter, really likes Donald Trump, but is supporting Ron DeSantis for the nomination, not because he has anything against Trump, he just thinks we should nominate a guy without baggage. It's just going to be easier to get him to win. And so if there are enough Republicans who make that calculation, then some non-Trump person uh, would have a chance. I still wouldn't bet on it, but there must be a, a significant number of people who would. And I thought before the Mar-a-Lago search, you saw real evidence of Republicans drifting away from Trump. Now they've drifted back. Will they drift away again? Time will tell. And the other big question, I think, Karen, is how much influence will he have on these races where he's endorsed a candidate if his own, if the, if the luster is coming off some of Donald Trump himself? Uh, he, he certainly, within a Republican primary, you know, his, his word is almost everything. But as a result, there are a lot of very weak Republican candidates running, particularly for the Senate. Well, we are going to leave it there. Karen Tumulty, welcome to the table tonight. David Brooks, thank you both. Thank you. Appreciate it.